Hey there, glad you're here for another stacked episode of the Broadway show Uncut. I'm Tamsin Fidel. Thanks for being with us. Two more great interviews on this episode of The Pod. Broadway debuts simply don't get any bigger than the one Miles Frost has had. He is an unbelievable lead of the cast MJ the Musical, playing the king of pop himself, Michael Jackson. So I'm going to talk with Miles coming up in just a few minutes. But first, another Pulitzer Prize winner is on the Broadway show. It's Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. And for the very first time, the Broadway revival has a black lead. Paul Wontorek caught up with the man who plays Willie Loman, Wendell Pierce. Wendell, so good to see you. Uh, thank you. Good to see you, too. How's Broadway treating you? You seem like uh, you're having a nice a nice run. I, I'm having uh, the time of my life. It's uh, a great challenge. It's tiring, but in a good way. It's uh, a sense of satisfaction and um, uh, a sense of accomplishment at the end of the evening. So. You were on Broadway before, many years ago. Yes, yes, many very, years ago. Very I didn't, briefly. I didn't know. Um, I, I have been on Broadway many times very briefly. So, uh, so um, um, Boys of Winter, mm -hmm. John Pielmeyer. Yeah. I actually, uh, the little known fact, uh, piano lesson. Oh. I did the original piano lesson. I took over for Charles Dutton. Mm -hmm. and, right, um, that's right. He was, uh, they, were, they were making an offer to another name who was afraid of playing the role. And he decided uh, um, against it. He was afraid to. And... Um, and so they did, as they were searching for someone else, I had taken over the role because I had understudied uh, Charles Dutton. And so for the last month, um, uh, I played the role of Boy Willie. Yeah, that, that, that credit is like yeah. not online. It's crazy, but it's true. I, I know I, it's I, true. Yeah. You were young. You were young for yeah, the role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then uh, Serious Money, right. which uh, was uh, very brief um, right. with uh, Carol Churchill. So this time, you're in Death of a Salesman. Yes. Uh, critically acclaimed, beautiful production. Mm -hmm. You could probably do it, you know, for uh, for a while. You could sit down for a while, but you're here for like a nice, yes. healthy run through yes. January 15th. Yes, yes, very good. Um, and I know you did it in London before, mm -hmm. and this was sort of a dream to bring it here. Yeah, we did it in London. It's um, everyone assumes that we kind of like went straight from London here, but it's been a yeah a hiatus of uh, two and a half years and because a of uh, the pandemic. Yeah, so it's like uh, a, a renewed take on the play, you know, with a new cast, and there's a lot of sense memory that comes to it. Um, but, uh, and so I remembered a lot. My body, my emotions, you know, my spirit remembered a lot of the work that we had done. And then working with new people just gave it even more new life. Mm -hmm. So Willie Loman, that's one of the big Titanic yes. <laughs> stage roles yes. for an actor. Uh, you ever, dream you would see it on your resume? Uh, I did not, but I, I actually met a young actor last night as I came out of the theater, and he reminded me that I told him years ago that I wanted to do the role. Wow. That you know that if you train, it prepares you to do the major roles. And uh, he said, I went down a list of roles that, um, you know, training would prepare. I guess the conversation was whether or not you uh, could train, and, and uh, is there value in training? And uh, I was telling him it was because it prepares you for all of these great challenges, and I guess this was on the list. And I said that, you know, hopefully I get to play one day. And he reminded me of that. I had not remembered it. Um, and then when the offer came, I jumped at the chance, I leapt at the chance, because it is one of the great 
as you said, you know, those, uh, one of the great challenges. I, every night, I feel as though I'm at the base camp of Mount Everest, looking up, and at the end of the evening, I have the summit. And um, it, 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 is, it challenges me, every part of my being, and it is the thing that makes me um, really appreciative of all the work that I've done in preparation for it. Does it feel like that, like when you have a career, you've had an incredible career, film and TV and stage, mm -hmm. does it feel like sort of the culmination of the hard work when you have something like this? Absolutely. You know, uh, there's, uh, there's a line that Arthur Miller wrote that, um, that an actor uh, is, is immortalized by the work that he does in a theater on a certain afternoon um, that is really the distillation of all that he has ever seen. And that's what this feels like, the distillation of all the work that I've done, all that I've seen. Uh, it's kismet that at this point of my life and in my career that I'm playing the role because um, there's a, a, a catharsis of, of career and of my personal journey um, that I am doing this reflection on, this self-reflection that serves the play and serves an illumination and understanding of the play and then the lessons that the play teaches, you know, um, that there's your first wealth is love, love of family and not of materialistic things, um, uh, how to deal with those insurmountable odds that people feel and are placed in front of them. And so it is the culmination of my career coming together. Arthur Miller wrote an incredible family drama, American family mm -hmm. drama. Mm -hmm. This is the first time on Broadway it's a black family. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that that factor is instrumental to the um, success of what audiences are feeling in this production or sort of incidental? It, uh, it is, uh, it's interesting. It is, it is absolutely instrumental to the impact that it's having yeah. on people because it is so, um, so impactful uh, because it enlightens the material, yeah. uh, amplifies the themes of the material even more because uh, what was the usual humiliation, the usual self-destruction, the, the usual uh, variables that are placed in front of Willie's pursuit of this American dream um, become even more uh, insurmountable, going back to that word, because of uh, the, the, the micro and macro aggressions that were happening for racial, um, in the racial culture yeah. of this country for a black family in 1949. People always ask, did you add that line when I tell my white mistress there may be a law in Massachusetts about this uh, when we are escorted to this room in the back, which is it's a private room, you'd be more comfortable back here. Um, the insult that happens at a store uh, in right. at Christmas time that I don't even give voice to, right? Uh, Miller wrote a shrimp that originally, and then the walrus, and different productions have used either, mm. and we choose not to say any, and the racial epithet is heard when I say this guy called me a mm. mm -hmm. when I went in the store, right. and um, so the illumination of all the the pain in the play and the conflict of the play is heightened with a black family. And that is um, one of the reasons um, 
even Miller himself said, when they first did an interpretation of a black family in 1972, it was down in Washington, D.C. area. Mm -hmm. Dennis Tate, who actually taught me at Juilliard at oh, one wow. point. Oh, wow. Played Willie? Did, played Willie. That's amazing. Um, and uh, I, actually, no, he played Biff at the time. Uh -huh. um, but Miller even said, listen, the play has been successful around the world in all cultures. I completely expect black actors to illuminate these roles and illuminate this play um, as it has been illuminated around the world. He himself even did um, the production in Beijing, in China. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, he asked one of the actors, you know, I was wondering if this would fit in a communist system, you know, because it's such a condemnation of capitalism. Uh, and he said, and there the actor said, no matter where you live, you want to be number one man. Right, so we understand Willie's journey. Um, so with that in mind, we bring this African-American perspective and lens and prism to the play that, like light, which goes through a prism, and it's fractured and it shows you all the elements of the light and a broader spectrum, uh, that's what we do with this interpretation. It's like a, a beam of light through a prism that then the refraction shows you all the elements and the depth of it in a new, in a new way, in a deeper way. When, when there's a classy Broadway production like mm -hmm. this happening, you know, the, the representation of, you know, people in the audience who can, th can dream about doing things beyond sort of the, the, um, the way maybe they, they think their dream roles. What the, what the, let me try to phrase this correctly. Um, I feel like actors, you sort of have like a list of like, these are, these are sort of the classic roles I want right, to play. Right, right. And I feel like Shakespeare roles have always been sort of diverse, and I feel like actors mm -hmm. sort of... Right, every actor feels though it's accessible to them. Yeah. They can play it. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people maybe never thought of, of the Lomans right. in this way. And that, and that becomes, that's, that's a part of, uh, I shouldn't say part of our uh, apathy as a, uh, in the theater, but sometimes, sometimes we get accustomed to playing a role a certain way, mm. right? Or seeing a production a certain way. You right. see a wonderful production, yep. it always has to be that way. And it becomes a part of the lore of mm -hmm. the production, right? Uh, just to be bare bones and put it on the table, this was always seen just because it was Arthur Miller's family that he referenced, it became known as the Jewish play, mm -hmm. right? And so that, for a lot of people, kept a lot of people out of it, mm -hmm. and he never said that that's what it was. It was, we, kept, we became accustomed to playing it that way, or, or seeing it produced that way. We also became accustomed to, I think even more transformative, or equally transformative in our production is, it was always the slow dirge to death. Right of the man weighted down by his depression that leads him to make his final statement. And for me, the impulse was the complete opposite. When placed with the confrontation in front of me, my first impulse was to fight, was to never give up a captured, a, 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 a captured man. Yeah. Uh, that is trying to break free, that no matter what, make a way out of no way. And that is so much a part of the African-American uh, cultural experience mm -hmm. that because 
from generation to generation, there's been no reason for us to be optimistic. I mean, really, when you think about it, when so much time, energy uh, is placed into macro and micro aggressions, that um, racism is uh, memorialized in law and institutions, and you deal with it on a personal level, there's all the progress we've made in this country is because in the African-American community, there was a sense of, in spite of it all, you fight mm. and you make a way out of no way. Don't give in, no matter what, even when it seems uh, impossible. Right. And that spurred me to do a very uh, invigorated, you know, impassioned Willie, and not this Willie that is being weighted down. Right. Even in the end, he feels as though it's an it's a, it's a optimistic choice that he makes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give my family something mm -hmm. by destroying myself. Um, and so I think that's as unique as having the interpretation of an African-American family. It's just as a unique that we're getting away from this, uh, this portrayal of this is how it's done. Even more, um, with Linda Lohman, this strong black woman Absolutely. who is holding all these men yeah. together. Uh, this, this display of male toxic masculinity, yeah. as they say, um, and that she's holding it down. That is such a tradition in, 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 in the African-American experience. So I think that's as unique. You know, with Chekhov, you, I look at it like Chekhov. When the plays were first interpreted, first translated into English, it was the British. So these visceral, gregarious, vodka-drinking, uh, faithful, hard-loving people, Russian people, mm -hmm. became very British drawing room dramas. Oh, Masha, one day we'll go to Moscow. <laughs> Moscow, <laughs> Moscow. Uh, father died one year ago, right. you know. Where's Rashidin, you know? Yeah. Um, and it became this tradition of playing Chekhov that yes. way. Instead of, <laughs> there's a school, I won't say, <laughs> tied to a theater, where they would have a vodka rehearsal in the last run-throughs of uh, Chekhov. So wherever they drank water in the place of vodka, they would go and drink the vodka, right? And then it illuminated another side wow. to the production. And so that's a long way of saying um, that that's the innovation and the reason you do revivals is to bring a new interpretation yes. so the African-American experience along with a, a vital and visceral Willie mm -hmm. fights to the end before he ever gives up um, I think are the two things I'm proudest of in our interpretation and production. What was your, this is your latest triumph, what was your first stage triumph as a kid? Oh. <laughs> My first play ever was in kindergarten. I played Chicken Little. The sky Great is falling down. <laughs> turkey Lurkey. And I remember Turkey Lurkey. I can't remember everybody else. But the sky is falling down. The sky is falling down. And I had on a really wonderful little short sleeve white shirt with a yellow bow tie and yellow pants. You know, so it was, it was great. I was, I was chicken little. You nailed it. I nailed it. I'm I nailed it. I'm and actually, the thing that got me back into it was in fifth grade, I did 
um, a play at the University of New Orleans with a graduate student um, from a theater camp that I went to. Uh, she called me back in and I did Midsummer's Magic. You stole the title. <laughs> Midsummer's Magic was a children's play where I got lost in the woods and they were having their Midsummer Festival that the troll would always destroy every year. And the little boy, Jeremy, who got lost in the woods, figured it all out, said, did you ever invite him? And he said, oh, no, we never have. And I solved it. I solved the whole problem of their Midsummer Magic Festival <laughs> where the troll was invited. So Mr. Fox and Wilhelmina Weasel uh, and all the other characters had a wonderful festival. And as I'm about to join the festival, you hear, Jeremy, Jeremy. I said, I have to go. My mom's calling me. So I saved <laughs> the day and I left stage right. And then I was hooked. I was playing football, got to high school, and they came recruiting from my performing arts high school. And I told the coach, I'm going there for acting. He's like, what? <laughs> and, uh, and that's how it all started. What do you think drew you to it? Were you a reserved kid off uh, stage? No, I was always, I was always outgoing and gregarious. I remember I had such a good experience playing the play, in the play, and then I had such a diverse interest in different things growing up. Uh, in high school, I wanted to be a lawyer at one time. I wanted to be an architect at one time, um, and then I discovered all of a sudden I could be all of those things with acting. I could be a multitude of different things and I can explore all my different interests. Then I went to the New Orleans Center of Creative Arts and they were very serious. It wasn't like a drama class. It wasn't like a drama club. We, I didn't do plays at school hmm. my entire high school career. We were working on the text. We were working on our voice. We were working on movement. We were working on just scenes. Hmm. And then we had to go out into the city and get jobs uh, in plays so we can get the experience of having to audition and work with other professionals. So by the time I got to Juilliard, and it led me to Juilliard, which was, you know, mm -hmm. a serious take um, and approach to the, to the craft. Yeah. And uh, I got that in high school, and that was the thing that really nailed it for me. It wasn't a frivolous thing, you know, and culturally we can always be frowned upon. You know, arts is of no importance. And I, early on, uh, was given an education, an arts education, to realize the, the, the impactful nature of art that this is the place as important as legislation. Mm. You know, legislation can change and confine and control people's behavior. Thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. But we as artists can change people's hearts and minds and move them. And I was inspired by that and the Free Southern Theater, which was doing plays during the Civil Rights Movement. Wow. Uh, and so that was the thing that hooked, that really hooked me. So when you say, that Willie Loman is the culmination of everything you've ever done. You're including Chicken Little. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> when I'm having those flashbacks, when I'm having the, the synaptic nerves of fly, falling off, man, Willie Loman is the first one saying the sky is falling in. You know what I'm saying? He's the, he's the first one. He's hearing voices. He's, he's seeing things. Oh, yeah. Diamonds shining in the dark, hard and rough. I could just pick up, I see it like a diamond. I see diamonds, you know, I hear voices. Oh yeah, the sky's falling in on oh, Willie, definitely. For many years you did a lot of TV and film. What's it like to be back on stage so much right now? It's great, I, I never left. Um, yeah. I, I, 
I try to do a play every year. Right. Uh, I try to do the trifecta, I call it a play, a film, and television. Uh, television has kind of become the bread and butter, you know. Uh, but like 2019 was like the perfect year. I was doing Willie Loman in London. Right. I, I did this film, Clemency, which yeah. won uh, um, uh, Sundance. Yeah. Uh, I did a film called Burning Cane, which won Tribeca that year. I won Best Actor at the Tribeca Film Festival. Congrats. And um, was doing Jack Ryan. You know, yeah. At the time, so yeah, that's the sort of year. That's the dream. Like to have. That's sort the of dream. do all so, of it. Yeah, to do all of it. You know, because yeah. it really the defining thing is uh, good work, mm. good material, right? And if you do good material, that's the most important thing. And so I've done work here in New York. Uh, I think another passion of mine is to reconnect smaller theaters um, with people who can actually have a platform to bring more people into it. So I'm on the board with the Billie Holiday Theater, and yep. I did work with them coming out of the pandemic, 12 mm -hmm. Angry Men, and I did yeah. uh, uh, other plays with them too, uh, uh, Brothers from the Bottom, which is a play that I took down in New Orleans. And so I, I, I want to have that same relationship. I think of Steppenwolf in Chicago, where John Malkovich and mm. Joan Allen and Terry Kinney, they all created this theater, which has a huge multi-million dollar endowment yeah. now, but they all have very viable commercial careers, but they have that connection. And uh, in, for black theater, we've missed that connection. So you have all of these people with commercial, viable careers um, that uh, we were disconnected from the Negro Ensemble Company, the mm. one that comes to mind, which should be as huge yeah. as a Steppenwolf. And so this generation uh, that I'm in a part of, and you know, uh, Denzel and Viola Davis yeah. and Charles Dutton and Keith David and all who have commercial viable, uh, Angela Bassett, Courtney B. Vance, viable film, television, um, commercial careers, um, having a place to go back to a theater, it should have been the NEC which is now gone, Negro mm -hmm. Ensemble Company. So many people that came out of it. So I'm trying to make that reconnection with small theaters like Penumbra in Minnesota and Black, uh, the, uh, the Black, uh, St. Louis Rep, the Black Repertory of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. I'm getting the name wrong. Right. See, I need to reconnect. <laughs> uh, I think of those theaters, Lorraine Hansberry in San Francisco, Billie Holiday here yeah. in New York, um, to build those theaters up again to make sure that they are a part of the American diaspora of theater uh, as so they how, should be. So how are we going to do that? How, how are uh, get amazing those, stars? Right. Uh, uh, we are doing it at the Billy Holiday. Many people are starting to come back. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of picking up the phone. I told Wesley Snipes one time, Wesley was like, oh, I would love to do this play. I said, Wesley, do you realize you could just pick up the phone to any of these theaters at any time? They will shift their schedule. Right to accommodate you. So it's on both, you know, it's, yeah. it's gonna be something that we both create. So hopefully I start this wave of people to come back and do theater, you know, do more theater. Yeah. Uh, last night, uh, Lorraine Toussaint and CCH Pounder and Gloria Rubin came and they went, oh my goodness, wow. You do that eight times a week? I said, oh, come <laughs> on, that's where you came from. You guys gotta come back, so. And this is a the display of that is happening on Broadway now, you know, uh, yeah. and around the city. We just wanna make sure that that spreads out to smaller theaters. I love that. That that seems like exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. 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 They would make way.
I have to ask you, this is for Zach, the director of the show, who's not here. Okay. But I have to ask you one thing about The Wire. Yes. <laughs> you, you, um, you had an amazing TV success with The Wire. Yeah. It is regularly sort of credited as maybe the best TV show, one right. of the best TV right. shows. We're always in the top five, at least. Yeah, top five, yeah. definitely top five. How does, it, how does it feel to be a part of something like that? Uh, it feels very special. I wish it for everyone, right? Uh, we always know I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. It's the opposite. I wish this for every actor. Um, I forget who told it to me. They said, Wendell, you have your godfather. I said, what does it mean? He said, you will always have that. No matter what happens in your career, you will be known for The Wire. And uh, it's something I hope you're proud of. I'm like, yes. He said, you always have that. And I wish that for every actor, that they would have something that's so defining of their work yeah. uh, in the arc of their uh, career. And I think Death of a Salesman is going to be that for me now. I've become a small, uh, I've become a part of a small fraternity of men who play the role mm. that I think about every night. Mm. You know, I, I think of the five men who have played it on Broadway. Mm. Uh, I, I feel personally connected to them because I know what that feeling is like before the, the curtain rises. Yeah. You know, um, I, I feel connected to Lee J. Cobbs and Dustin Hoffman and, and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. Brian Dennehy and Joyce C. Scott, yeah. I go, I know, I know. <laughs> I know how daunting the evening seems right now and how fulfilling and satisfying it will be in a couple of hours. So um, The Wire was, uh, it will be a defining uh, part of my career and life. And I'm appreciative of it. I have dear friends from it. It has um, been a, a launching pad uh, for opportunities like death of a salesman yeah and um so it's something that uh, i embrace and love and i met so many great actors and so many great friends so many were here for opening night of death of a salesman the yeah. creator david simon and some of the directors and a lot of the cast so it's been great and that's been the great thing about death of a salesman on the whole that the the collection of actors who have such respect for the play and the challenge the generational challenge that mm. This place on Broadway every 10 years. Someone will play the role and we all come to see how they manage it and how, to, how they deal with the play. And so just this, um, this roll call of actors, from Angela Bassett to Jessica uh, Chastain and yeah. Michael Shannon and you know, Michael J. Fox, John Krasinski, yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, Everybody wants to see you do this. This is an yeah. event. It's so, it's, it's, so it's great. It's a real honor. It's humbling. Awesome. I can't wait to see the next thing. The yeah. next thing you do. Thanks, Paul. Some great stuff there. All right. It's Broadway's biggest thriller, MJ the Musical. I sat down with the man in the mirror himself, Miles Frost. Let's talk about you and where you were before you yes. landed the starring role on Broadway. So. When I got there, I was, I was still in college. I was in my senior year of college. I was at Bowie State University. And, uh, but before this, you know, I, was, I didn't really have any plans or intentions in going into Broadway. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an artist by trade. You know, I write, I sing, I play piano, drums. It's a few talents. A few, you know, a few <laughs> talents. Um, but that's where, my, that's where the core of my, of my passion lies. And um, when I got this opportunity, I was like, who, who would pass this up? You know, I'd done some talent shows in high school, uh, singing and dancing to Michael Jackson. 
and uh, to Chris Brown, and, you know, different, you know, different artists, and I won those talent shows, and I was like, you know, I like being on stage, I like dancing, and I, my freshman year of high school, I played seaweed um, in Harrisburg, so that was my first taste of theater, so it was really f came full circle with this opportunity, and. I took it and ran with it. You walk in that door every day and you walk in that theater and the, you know, the, the stage lights come up. How does it feel every night? New. It feels new every night. Like the feeling, you would think that if you do something over and over and over again, even if you love it, it can, you know, it can feel like it gets old sometimes, mm -hmm. but it's something about this experience that it, it literally never gets old. It's fresh. The energy is fresh. The people are fresh. The chemistry between me and my cast members who I love, it's just fresh. It feels like, because I put myself in the moment every time. And I'm, I'm acting in these moments for the first time each time. That's how, that's how I treat it. How do you do it? Believe it. If you believe it, then it'll carry you. It'll carry you. If I, if I believe that, I'll give an example. Um, uh, Quentin Darrington, who plays uh, Robin Joe, Joe Jackson, when we're on stage but not necessarily involved in a scene and say we're uh, supposed to be back talking to the bandstand, we're actually talking about things that are going on. So I'm like, you know, uh, Rob, I really like how the light comes down for this particular number, but I think it should be purple, not red. I think we should change that. And then, you know, I talked to Jason, who was, um, plays piano, and I'm like, you know, I think we should change this key and go here. Like, we're always in it. And there's always things that can be changed and always, you know, things that can be critiqued and um, new ideas that can be made. So that's what makes it fun. Where did you learn that? Did someone give you that advice to do that, to stay in that moment, especially each night? No, actually, uh, I think that's something that I just naturally gravitated towards. I was, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like the feeling of what I call fake acting. You know, I feel like acting to me is not acting. Acting is being. Mm -hmm. um, and... I try to be in those moments as as much as I can, even off stage. You know, how would Michael treat his people off stage? How would Miles treat his people off stage? The people that work for him, the people that are trying to put this thing together, because that's essentially what we're doing. Sure. Sure and um, and that's yeah. what makes it so believable, and that's why people sit there and become immer immersed in what you're doing and yeah. believe that that's what they're <laughs> seeing. Uh, so you said you had some pivotal conversations that really have have moved you along. Yes. What what were some of those conversations? Well, uh, with, um, during one of our previews, I can't I forget which one, but I talked to Prince Jackson, Michael Jackson's son, and um, he said something that stuck with me uh, even even now. He said he liked the fact that I wasn't trying to impersonate his father. Mm. And I hold that very near and dear to my heart because I don't want to try to impersonate Michael Jackson. I'm Miles Frost first and foremost and always, you know, and I tell the story of Michael Jackson through Miles Frost. And that's, and I, I'm more concentrated and I, I prefer to give you the essence of Mike instead of trying to be the, someone that I'm not, you know, and that's what I feel like makes it more believable. And you know, and when he told me that, I'm like, okay, because that's how I was approaching it, uh, you know, at that point. And um, when he said that to me, I said, okay, I'm doing something right. I'm I'm going in the right direction. And it gave me something to to build off of. And I wasn't so unsure. I didn't feel so unsure after that. That has to be a, a nice confidence to have, especially when you're talking about somebody that doesn't get any closer oh, yeah. to, to Michael Jackson. I'm like, look, next to Janet. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, of course, of course, but I stand yeah. corrected. Next to Janet. <laughs> no, that was it was amazing. It, it felt it was a really, really nice feeling.
been in Paris sending us flowers on opening night and with an amazing message saying that she enjoyed the show and she, you know, felt like we really showed her father in, a, in, in the best light and it meant the world to me. How did you learn Michael Jackson? How did you study him? How did you uh, figure out what he would be thinking, how he would be talking to somebody if it wasn't something you're, you know, on stage right. doing but backstage doing? I've come to realize that everything Mike does is musical. The way he talks, the way he dances, the way he sings, you know, everything is related to music and you find a certain cadence, just like if you're trying to uh, mimic somebody singing, right? Um, James Brown has a cadence. Right? So when you find that and you start to delve more into who they are as a person, you find that these cadences are kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're parallel with mm -hmm. uh, every uh, a lot of other things in their life. So, you know, he has a cadence in the way that he speaks. He has a cadence in the way that he treats people and he talks to people and, you know, the relationships that he has. So when I was looking in, you know, looking back at videos, mm -hmm. watch This Is It, I don't know how many times, watch interviews, I don't uh, Oprah's interview, I don't know how many times. I've watched um, The Bad Tour, I don't know how many times because that's what I, what I believe is his sure. best tour and you start to find similarities and you start to connect the dots. Now, does Miles have a favorite song of Michael's? Hmm. Miles before this role did, but Miles well, after this role did, doesn't, and it's interesting. Oh, doesn't have one, okay. Right, so before this role, I was like, um, Rock With You, that's my favorite MJ song. Mm -hmm. Girl, close your eyes. Like, that's my favorite song because I felt like it represented me as a person. You can keep going as long as you want. <laughs> Let the rhythm get into you. Don't try to fight it. There ain't nothing that in you. But no, that's just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little taste. Just a little you gotta taste. come see the show. Yeah, you gotta see the show to see the rest. But um, afterwards, after doing the show and after diving into who Michael was as a person, I was more interested in his open-mindedness when it came to music mm -hmm. because if you can you can't it's hard to compare off the wall to thriller excuse me because they're two different sides of michael you know you get uh you know off the wall you get disco mike you get you know afro mike you get you know but in thriller that's when you get wet jerry curl mike and leather jacket but you, you know it's yes, and it's I like do. okay like who is this <laughs> And, you know, I know as a story of how when Beat It, the song Beat It was introduced to him, that he, Michael wasn't really feeling it all that much because it didn't represent kind of who he was at the, excuse me, at the particular time. And uh, Quincy was like, Michael, do, do this song. I'm, I'm telling you, do this song. And Mike said, okay, I'll do the song. And... You know, it, we, we it, got, we begins. got, and, and, it, and everybody was like, this is a new side of Michael we've never seen before. And that, I hold that near and dear to my heart because being open to that, to change is what opens the door to growth. I'm going to age myself just for you, Miles, <laughs> but beat it. If anybody in here remembers, was on uh -huh. MTV like every five minutes in <laughs> its time. So trust me, I remember it well. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about you. Yes. Because you uh, were in college. Yeah, I was. You were doing some talent shows. You're an artist. Mm -hmm. uh, you're an incredible uh, performer. But you got this call 
and you couldn't say no, but you made a promise. Mm -hmm. Who'd you make that promise to that you were going to go back to school? I made that promise to my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother was an elementary school teacher for over 40 years, and she's 88 now. And uh, I had a conversation with her and my mother at the same time. I was like, you know, I, I like college. You know, college is cool, but it's not really my thing. I'm not really feeling it all too much. And let's just say hypothetically, right, a big opportunity came that was life-changing. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, it was either continue to go to school or, you know, drop out and pursue that. My mom was, you know, she was like, okay, well, I mean, if it's, you know, we'll take a look at the opportunity depending on what it is. And if it's something that we feel like is secure enough, then, you know, then we'll go ahead and do it. But, and my grandma was like, <laughs> but see, my grandmother, what I love about her is she, she is a believer in Miles Frost. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you can't buy from, you know, anybody. And she's definitely my number one fan. And she said, if it was anybody else, I would say no. But I, I believe that whatever God has in store for you and whatever opportunity, if it does come, will be dro it will, is dropped in your lap and you take it and run with it, you're going to be the biggest thing in the world. But if that does happen, you got to finish at some point. I, I don't care when you finish, but you have to finish. And I said, I can do that. And senior year comes and I get this call and I'm like, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm so glad I had a conversation prior to because, you know. Did you just have a feeling somewhere in there that maybe something was going to happen? Well, it's actually a little deeper than that. I, because my grandmother's, you know, a lot older mm -hmm. than a lot of my friends' grandparents. She's mm -hmm. 80, Like I said, she's 88. I was always nervous that she wouldn't be able to see me off into my career mm -hmm. or see me in my career. Um, so I said, by 21, I want to have my big break. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, if it doesn't happen at 21, then I feel like it's just not going to happen. And I know that's, you know, to a lot of people that's super young, like, why are you limiting yourself to that particular age? And I'm like, because I want my grandma to be able to see me. <clears throat> you know, I want her to, in her right mind, be able to see me and be proud and be able to brag. And, you know, you know, she yes. loves bragging on me. Do the, do the grandmother thing. <laughs> you know. Only and grandmothers can do that. I know. I know. But that's, that's what I wanted. And. You know, I felt like I was I was heard. And two months before, it was actually the morning of my sister's birthday, May 27th, two months before my, I'm, I'm a cancer, July 21st. Two months before my birthday, I got that call at 21 years old. Wow. And uh, it's, when things aligned, it, it just feels so, so, it's such a warm feeling. And she was able to come up and she saw me open at night and I didn't know if she was gonna be able to make it because she doesn't travel much. Right, right. And um, I, you know, after the show, I got on my knee and I kissed her hand. I was like, I, I had to, I owe this moment to you. And that's just something I just, you know, I think about often. It's bigger than any, any person in any moment you're yeah. probably ever going to have. I know. And I, it almost brings me, it makes me really emotional thinking about it because I was so unsure. And I just remember how unsure I was. Mm -hmm. if I was ever going to have that opportunity. And, um, yeah. And here you are. Here I am. <laughs> Welcome to New York. Thank you. <laughs> what do you like about it? What do you, what are you still trying to adjust to? The smell. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't bad. And dog doodle -doo on sidewalks. It was a lot worse. Yep, yep. What else? Um, and dog doodle -doo on sidewalks. Oh, <laughs> yep. well, that's not supposed to happen um, either. But. Uh, yeah. Um, but no, I, what I do love about New York is the energy. It always, everybody's always doing something mm -hmm. at any point in time. Three o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in, in the afternoon. Somebody's always on their way to go do something, you know, and it makes me feel like, okay, I need to, I need to be doing something because somebody's doing something. <laughs> and it's, it's helped me be so productive. I've yeah. been more productive than I've ever been. So what, what have you done so far? The, the, like, I can't imagine you have very much time to do things, but. I would love to explore the city more. Yes, I'm I sure. I would definitely love to explore the city more. Um, but yeah, I mean, the show is, has taken a big chunk of, of my life, which I'm not upset with at all. I think it's okay. You know, because um, I got to meet this lovely. Oh, he's so right kind. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I would I would love to just to explore a little bit more. Now, so what do you think about Broadway now that you're now that you're on it? Because you hadn't mm -hmm. thought about Broadway before. It wasn't kind of in your. I'm planning to be a Broadway star. Right, right. What do you think about it now? Broadway's beautiful. Broadway is, you know, what I've come to realize just in this experience is is the epitome of live performance. You know, because being an artist, you think, oh, tour, I got to go on tour, you know, perform my songs and, you know, have a set list and things of that nature. That's the epitome of live performance. And it's about how big your Coachella performance can be, mm -hmm. right? To put it in a nutshell. But doing this and Broadway in general, just seeing different shows has made me realize what live, like the, the, if you were to concentrate live performance, it's Broadway and it's theater and it's why Michael Jackson's videos were so fire is because he took from, he took elements of theater. Why was Smooth Criminal mm -hmm. so, such an amazing, why was Thriller such an amazing, it's so theatrical. And that's why people are like, oh my gosh. And to be able to translate that on stage is, it's such a beautiful experience. Is there one in particular you enjoy the most every night? Or that the audience enjoys the most? I mean, I can imagine mm. that, that- Like a particular number? Yeah, I can't imagine they stop <laughs> singing along and they stop, you know, jumping out of their seats. Hmm. Billie Jean. Billie Jean. The reason I, it's not the most theatrical, but mm -hmm. the reason I say Billie Jean is because it holds a special place in my heart. Um, Billie Jean is the video that was found that started me in this whole entire thing. I did a. It was a talent show. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I have to look at all your talent show reels. I know, I know. When I was 16, and um, it was when I was, it was my junior year, and I said, yeah, I'm gonna do Billie Jean this year. I'm, you know, one talent shows last, you know, a couple years back, and doing, you know, other stuff. But I want to do Billie Jean. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did it. My mom's in the back, holding her iPad up <laughs> with the flash on. <laughs> and um, and I, I came out on the hoverboard. Because that's some oh, hoverboards. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I was like, how can I be out of the box? Right. Yeah, I was trying to find ways to just be super creative. Came out on the hoverboard, went into the position that did Billie Jean. My mom posted it on YouTube, mm -hmm. and that was 2016. 2021 is when I got the call. Wow! And one of my sister's birthdays, you know, I got a call saying, "Hey, uh, we found this video of you doing Billie Jean. Um, I see that it's dated um, 2016." Can you like do? You, can you still do that? But like sing better and, and dance better. I was like, yeah. When I got off the phone, I was like, I hadn't done that since then. I was like, I was lying. I was like, uh, 
<laughs> I hope. I hope so. <laughs> you know. Give me a hoverboard and we'll see. Yeah, you know, and so that so that's why that number if I if I never did that, if my mom never posted it on YouTube. That's just crazy. That's I just know, unbelievable. So what do you say to uh somebody who might have the aspiration of at least coming to New York and perform, whether it's Broadway, right. whether it's off Broadway, whether it's on tour, uh whether it's Coachella. What right. do you what do you say to them? They hear your story and it's just so incredible. Don't know yourself out of an opportunity. Because if I said, no, I can't do that because I haven't done it since 2016. No, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't. I wouldn't be here talking to you. Mm -mm. I'd be very sad about that. Say yes to your future self. I said yes because I was speaking on who I, I knew I would be, I, on what I knew I'd, I would be able to do. Not necessarily what I could currently do. It helps you not limit yourself. So that's what I would say. I would say, say yes. Why not? Because why not? Because why not? We're going to be back next week with another great interview or two or three. Until next time, I'm Tamsin Fidel, and this is the Broadway Show Uncut. <laughs>